Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Hey, listeners, welcome to this fall 2021 edition of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words, part of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. In this episode 268, we visit with Janet Sargent, author of Deep Calls Unto Deep, which draws its title from Psalm 42:7. Deep Calls Unto Deep at the Thunder of Thy Cataracts. The book explores how three men, Lewis Patrick, the minister, Tony Abbott, the poet and teacher, and Fred Beekner, the writer and theologian, shared a commonality of thought and purpose in their lives and in their writings, and how they became friends along the way. Reverend Dr. Baron Mullis, senior pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and author of Like an Overflowing Stream, had this to say about the book. It is a warm and familial tribute to three towering figures in their respective fields who, in life's wonderful providence, found one another. Before we jump into the uninterrupted interview today, I'd like to thank you for being here. We are grateful for your presence and uh, really appreciate your time joining us here on the podcast. I'm your host, Landis Wade. I'm a uh, recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories. And if you run out of things to do one day, you can check me out at uh, LandisWade.com. Find out more about uh, me and uh, my writing. Speaking of writing, shameless plug here by the other sponsor of this podcast, which happens to be me. Uh, I have a novel coming out uh, in the spring of 2022. It's called Deadly Declarations. You can find out more about that at LandisWade.com. There's pre-order information there uh, for ebook and soon uh, print book as well. It's, uh, it's a novel that uh, explores a 250-year-old North Carolina mystery set in Charlotte, uh, which if solved uh, might change U.S. history. Uh, possibly the first great American government conspiracy. John Adams called it one of the greatest curiosities and one of the deepest mysteries that ever occurred to him. And Thomas Jefferson called it spurious and an apocryphal gospel. I'm talking about the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence, which is the heart of this novel. Uh, But it's modern day set in a uh, retirement community where the reality of getting older is a combination of fear, doubt, humor, and new life. And where these characters that uh, I've invented transport readers to the courtroom and then to the Virginia countryside to prove that age is just a number when searching for and finding the truth. Hope you'll check that out at LandisWay.com. For everything related to the podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. We've got show notes on each episode uh, with images and links. We've also got a community blog there. Uh, if you're a writer, you can submit there. We've got a lot of great content. And speaking of great content, uh, we put out a book report every two weeks. It's free to sign up for, and uh, there's some free stuff you get when you sign up. You can check that out at the uh, podcast website. Uh, Hey, we won't spam you because, frankly, that takes way too much time. But enough of this prologue. Let's get to today's episode. Janet, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And congratulations on the book. Thank you again. Yeah. Did you ever think uh, years ago when I was coaching Little League Baseball with your husband, Dale, that one day I would have a podcast and I'd be interviewing you about a book? No, I probably (laughs) thought I'd see you as our lawyer before I'd see you as the leader of the podcast. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, You did did give us a a golden retriever, though, that we we love for many years, uh, sports. So that was fun. Our families have been together 
interacting in many ways for a long time, but never did I dream it would be talking about a book that I wrote. (laughs) Exactly. Well, that's that's wonderful. And I'd like to take, Janet, just a couple of minutes here at the beginning uh, for you to briefly tell us about each of the men whose life and writings you explore in this book, uh, Lewis Patrick, Tony Abbott, and Fred Beekner. Let's start with uh, Lewis Patrick, the minister. Tell us a little bit about him and how you knew him. Lou became our pastor in 1976, so I've known him a long time. Uh, He was a towering figure then, a bigger-than-life man, who was known before that as one of the most powerful preachers of his generation. So when we joined Trinity Presbyterian Church and he was there, we felt at home and, and felt camaraderie with him, the congregation, and the arts, music and literature. Uh, we felt at home with all of those. And he became uh, not just a preacher from the pulpit, but a friend and a mentor in many ways. Yeah, in later years, you hung out in his garage and y'all read poetry, right? We did. A sort of fixed up garage, yeah. <laughs> a little fixed up with coffee and cigar smoke and tobacco smells everywhere. All right. And speaking of poetry, uh, a little bit about Tony Abbott. Uh, I know him because I interviewed him for an episode on the podcast that came out October 6, 2020, bittersweet, because I'd recorded with him that summer and he died just a few days before the episode came out. Um, but tell us about Tony Abbott, the poet and the teacher, and how you knew him. It was through Lou Patrick, who loved the arts, and he brought Tony to Trinity uh, to give lectures on poetry. Uh, he gave a lecture on Fred Beekner. So we met Tony that way. Uh, I taught at Central Piedmont Community College for 25 years, and because he was teaching literature at Davidson and was that wonderful teacher there, our paths crossed, uh, cementing our relationship that way personally so that we always had poetry and literature, Trinity and Lou Patrick in common. So uh, when I had the idea for the book, I immediately, uh, Dr. Patrick died uh, uh, in 2006. So I had Tony look at the work of the chapter on Lou Patrick back in the fall of 2020. And he liked it so much. And he was, let me give, him give interviews. He gave me interviews so that I could get more information about him. And he he liked the process so much. And I sent him his chapter. And alas, he died uh, right after I sent it to him. I never will know whether he read it or not. Yeah. And listeners, for those of you that like to listen to that interview, uh, one of the last interviews he did uh, on Charlotte's podcast, you can go to charlottespodcast.com, go to our guest list page and just search for Anthony uh, Abbott and uh, you can click on that interview and listen. Uh, it was a great interview. He talked about his uh, most recent book, The Angel Dialogues, um, that was uh, very inspiring. All right. Um, so we have, uh, you know, we have a Trinity Presbyterian Church. We've got the Holy Trinity. Now we've got the Trinity of these three men. And to, and to wrap that together, we've got Fred Beekner. Tell us about yes. Fred Beekner and a little bit how you knew him. Lou had found the works of Fred Beekner before he found the man. But when he found the man in in the story that's in my book, and it's he tells it himself, he met Lou Patrick, and Lou Patrick 
began a friendship with Fred Beekner that was personal uh, until Lou died. They became good friends. And through Lou, we got to have Fred Beekner come to Montreat and to Charlotte, North Carolina, to Trinity. And Fred becoming at that time, this was back in 1980, one of the most influential theologians in America and now the world, uh, he was so famous uh, that we felt such gratitude that through Lou Patrick, we all got to meet him. And I became friends with Fred Beekner because Lou probably needed some of us to go to dinner when he came to town with him and and swell the six of us, we had a good time and we laughed a lot. Yeah, that's great. So um, you've talked about how these three men found each other. Um, why do you think they hit it all so well together? And, uh, you know, was there a common denominator among these three men? I would say the two biggest common denominators. Number one, words. They were three individuals and we know many more who fell in love with words and the power they have from an early age. So they always had that. And then I think it's mystery. The key to their writing and to the way they look at the world, and you can bring in God or the divine or whatever word you want, it is what happens if you feel there is mystery. And when you put words after you've since the mystery of life, this life, in this life, your words are all we've got to try, maybe art, all the arts, to try to put it into perspective. But it can't touch the mystery exactly, but we always try. And words are what these three men used on their journeys to talk about such things as the mystery of life. Yeah, one of the things I picked up on a sort of a quote on page 64, uh, they all had recognition of the darkness of life because of what they experienced. But they but I think you mentioned uh, they also sort of leaned into those shafts of light uh, that come through the darkness that help help people get through life. And Landis, that was the you know probably the third thing is sadly in one way, uh, this way that they all three had particularly devastating tragedies in their lives. So the darkness, this deep, which often goes with the word darkness, uh, is what they are writing out of too. Not just seeing mystery, but also trying to, I love Lou Patrick's word, the through bearing in life that people have to have and the valor to get through the dark tragedies and everyone has dark passages. They recognize it, and and through their writing, because they're so brave and valorous, we are lifted up when we hit those dark, deep times. So their tragedies. Mm-hmm. Lou lost his son at six. Tony lost his uh, daughter at four. Uh, Fred Beekner lost his father to suicide at ten terrible tragedies, and yet they search for meaning and light in in light of those tragedies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, uh, before we dive deeper, no pun intended, uh, let's start with <laughs> let's start with an explanation of the title of the book, Deep Calls Unto Deep. Why is this the perfect title for this book? Because it's a mystery, <laughs> what it means. <laughs> well, that's that's a good point, because my next question was going to be to explain with, because we go to Psalm 42, 7, deep calls unto deep at the thunder of thy cataracts. Okay, what is the thunder of thy cataracts? <laughs> <laughs> It's something that has the ability to, to counteract all the thunder that we see in this life. We get plenty of darknesses and thunders. And that poet was talking about missing home. And yet he felt that when he was in the mountains listening to that rush of water, that deep calls unto deep, he sensed some mystery that was beyond the human. So I think that all ties together. It was Lou Patrick's favorite Psalm 42. He also said he probably never understood it. So we may not, but gosh, it resonates with people. Um, as my the first of it, as the deer pants for the water. So we pant for something. And they just decided to call it God. Mm. So it's when, and one of my favorite lines is when the thunder of, of that kind of godlike sound drowns out the thunder of things that are happening in our lives that we have no control over. That's good news. There's something else. Yeah. And you say on page 13 of the book, the poet is cast down, but hope is rock solid in God. Why? Because we have to travel to the deepest part of ourselves, perhaps even rock bottom, and that is where God and humankind meet. They can. Not a surefire thing, but they can. <laughs> um, the, the poet certainly thought so in Psalms, and so did these three men, and they hit rock bottom with tragedies. And yet, as Tony Abbott said in his interview with me, when I said, it's almost too sad to hear you talk about the death of your daughter. He said, no, no, no. Um, I was, when I started remembering and writing words, I felt alive. Now that's quite a statement of what to do with this deep. Mm -hmm. To yeah. come to a point where you feel more alive by remembering and writing it down. Well, let's talk about how you found your way into writing this particular book. You've studied English literature, as you said, as a province of your life for almost 50 years. You've taught writing and literature at Central Piedmont Community College for 25 years. Um, and you've had poetry and fiction published. But but why this? Why did this particular book call to you to be written as your first book? It was a call, Landis. Um, I, I think, like everything, it was the moment that had been coming all along. I'm a writer, uh, I write essays, a few things published, uh, poetry and essays, not, not a book. But I've had, I'm, the church, I'm a historian, I'm a church historian, and I have these friends. So one day when I was looking at all these documents I had, I realized I had some things that the world had never seen. And it just dawned on me then, of course, it was building all along, but dawned on me, well, I think I can connect the dots on this 
these three men who had so much in common. And Landis, you know these commonalities. It's weird to come into contact with the mystery of three men who knew each other, who used words, who had tragedies, but many others. They all three went to Princeton. They all wrote letters. They were all my friends and had written me letters all these years. So what I did was suddenly decide that maybe the world at large, maybe, would be interested in how many interesting, I'm not going to say coincidences, commonalities, what mystery that they have all these things in common. Mm. Now, you do a great job of weaving uh, it together and some nice stories in here. In one way, this book is a tribute to these three men who made a difference to many who heard them preach or teach or write. But it's also clear from the text that each of these men influenced your life in some way. And I'm just curious, you know, what things come to mind, Janet, as to how these men shaped your own thinking about life, about writing, and about maybe the world beyond? Mm. Landis, you're a writer, so I think you will understand this, that when, when one is influenced by three people who write in such a fresh way that you can't guess what they're going to say. Um, you, you pay attention. I was taught that way. Uh, it took a long time. But writer, writing and speaking is sometimes cliche. So what these writers gave me was, one, um, a love of words, but I already had the love of words, but how to use them so that people hear something now, we've only got these 26 letters of the alphabet. There's, we're not going to create anything new, but you can create fresh ways of putting them together that the world might, um, anybody might want to hear. Mm -hmm. So that's the challenge. And get all three of these men talk about how they were influenced by writers where they couldn't guess what, what the writer was going to say next. Did they have an influence on your spiritual life? Oh, uh, certainly. Uh, Lou Patrick was my main me the mentor who changed my life. He's the only person. He's the only person I would say comes close to being a genius in my life because I could never tell where he was going. And when I, he did go in a way of counseling or preaching, you almost gasp. You, you have this lump in the throat of I hadn't thought of that, and then you're lifted up. And then you get to laugh and cry because it's dark maybe, but it then you're lifted up and then you're just life is greater, life more abundantly. And that's what they, Lou taught me and the other two sensed it from each other. They laughed all the time. They were so alive. Fred is still alive at 95. Um, so the influence on my life is, to live and live more abundantly now, not even knowing what's coming. Yeah, that's great. Write a oh, book, I, do something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> do something different. <laughs> Start a podcast, write a book, whatever. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right, so uh, I've got some more questions, I think, about uh, Lou's preaching. But before that, we've got an author reading. This is where, you know, authors give voice to the written words on, on the podcast. Do you want to say anything to set up this reading for our listeners? Yes. It is about another 
strange, wonderful, mysterious thing I discovered while I was writing the book uh, with how the three writers were so alike. And when I chanced upon the fact that, and I wanted to end the book, it's near the end of the book that I'm going to be reading, and it's about what role apples play. And it was amazing. I didn't have to search for them. It's just so evident. All I had to do was connect the dots uh, for, oh my gosh, I'll end with the fact that another common thing they did was talk about apples in a certain way. Okay, great. Uh, anytime you're ready. So what can I say finally about these things, about these writers who are intertwined in myriad ways? First, I think, is how Lou Patrick, Tony Abbott, and Fred Beekner loved the world and all that was created therein. And they give God the power and glory and goodness. And secondly, they pray that God grants them the valor to journey towards him, to recognize him in the through-bearing. And finally, they realize that they, like everyone else, are always falling, always heading for home to that other home that we only have glimpses of here. Now, in his 1965 novel, The Final Beast, Fred's main character, Nick, is lying down under apple trees. He is waiting for a sign. He is almost demanding a sign that God exists, and he wants Jesus to come. Quote, please come, he said, Jesus then swallowing and half blind with the sun in his eyes, he raised his head to look and the air, he thought, would part like a curtain and the splendor would not break or bend anything, but fill the empty places between the trees, the trees in the house, between his hands. He listened. Nothing was happening. Then two apple branches struck against each other with the limber clack of wood on wood, that was all. A tick-tock rattle of branches, but then a fierce lurch of excitement, he felt. But it was only daybreak, only the smell of summer coming, only starting back again. But, oh, Jesus, he thought with a lump in his throat and a crazy grin. This was an agony of gladness and beauty, just Clack, clack. But praise God, praise him. Maybe all his journeying, he thought, had been only to bring him here to hear two branches hit each other twice, just like that. To see nothing come. But to see the threshold, to hear the dry clack, clack of apple branches of the world's tongue at the approach of the approach of splendor. To see the extraordinary in the ordinary. This is a sign of heaven right here. The not aloneness in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. That part I just quoted from Fred's book when this world of humans seems to fail, 
there is healing world of God's creation that speak to us in its clack clack of apple branches. And when we are blind to that, the gift is that God promises to be with us in the shadows of our deepest longings, the thunder of his voice sounding like silence sometimes. Comfort me with apples, says the poet of Song of Solomon in the Bible. Fred Beekner believed it when he heard the clack-clack of the apple tree branches. Tony Abbott wrote about it in a poem called Remembrance, in which he is lying in the grass beside a gravestone, and he watches the bees work in the crossed branches of a blooming apple tree. Lou once preached a Thanksgiving message with the title, Comfort Me with Apples. He uses that phrase from Song of Solomon, and he is comforted by it. But Lou Patrick points out that although we seem to be always looking for the good life, we need to start with faith that life is good. Lou writes, quote, the scriptures, the Bible, sing to us another song, a comfort me with apples song. It sings of simple things. It gives us a poem, not about things that we acquire ourselves, but rather gifts of ordinariness, like apples. Lou goes on to say, Let me be the kind of person who can be comforted with apples. Let my life be so full that the addition of one simple thing can cause it to overflow with joy. End of quote. Lou wrote that about the fullness of life here and now that comes when we acknowledge the profound gifts of ordinary things and his promise to be with us even now and evermore. And isn't that good news? That's great, Jane. I'm never going to uh, eat an apple again without uh, having a new perspective <laughs> on, on apples. Uh, well, and that's, you talk about, you, you wrapped up with Lou Patrick and it made me think, because I, I was going to bounce around here a little bit, a couple of things I noted from the book, but there was a time when he was preaching a series of sermons when, uh, as you point out in the book, that some of the parishioners were saying, hey, hey, come on, Lou, lighten up a little bit, you know, maybe a little happier message. You know, uh, he wasn't always showing the light at the end of the tunnel, they were saying. And, um, you know, maybe he was saying, well, that's not necessarily my job. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to he had a, a, something called from Bethlehem to Bedlam that he preached. I think you pointed that out in the book. Uh, and he talked about in another page. He uses the story of Job to point out that everyone is carrying a burden heavier than we think. So maybe it's not always the happy message because you think what you perceive to be one thing and maybe another is that that person's going through, uh, you know, a deep tragedy that has no explanation. Another point that he makes. So, uh, but then again, but then again, Lou Patrick, he spoke his mind. You said in the book, he once said he drove away $350,000 in pledges when in the early 1960s, he said the Trinity would be open to anyone, white or black. Valor in the face of all of the that we have to face in this life. No one thinks um, believing in some of these things is going to be easy. 
especially the way chaos in the world looks sometimes. But you can't gloss over the chaos. Uh, only if you're God at, in Genesis, <laughs> where you make order out of the chaos, could do that. We humans try, but we soon fail in that. And to have someone who preaches or writes poetry and teaches literature or writes books like Fred Beekner, um, who give us words to say we're not alone. Somebody else feels this. And you can still laugh and feel comfort with the beauties that you see, but never to gloss over that, that what is that line from Fred Beekner's book, Brendan, where Brendan, St. Brendan says, maybe that's what is the, the most important thing, to help each other when we're falling, to lend a hand when we're falling. And, and I found it interesting picking up on that, that, um, you know, sometimes you have the minister who ministers to the congregation, but the congregation also can minister to the minister. You went and visited Lou when he was sick in the hospital and you made him laugh. And I, I love the Scottish prayer you read because I'm thinking, okay, we got a Presbyterian church. I'm thinking about the Scotch Irish uh, Presbyterian, you know, who come to North Carolina to escape, you know, persecution. I'm thinking about this because of my novel about the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence and yeah. all the people that settled here in the revolutionary period. I'm thinking this is the perfect prayer to, to say to him when he was sick. And the prayer went something like this. Oh Lord, help me to be always right for thou knowest how hard I am to turn. <laughs> <laughs> is that perfect for a Presbyterian? <laughs> it's, it's so perfect that my family is tired of me saying it when I'm arguing a point. I, I want to be right so bad. My Scots-Irish blood, because I'm from there too, and so was Lou, is we do like to be right. And so please help me be right. <laughs> please, because I'm hard to turn. I'm hard it, to turn. I'm so hard to turn. Uh, yeah. And you, you also, you know, Tony, you talked about the tragedy stuff. One of the poems that he read, you talk about in the book, he read it on the podcast too, was when he was a young boy. And, and I love this line. He put away his tears in his pocket with his used handkerchief. Um, and yet he, he pulled those tears back out later when he was able to actually process and talk and write about these things. Yes. I wish I, I didn't mark it. I, let me see if my eye will fall on it. Um, one of his poems that has meant the most to young people, uh, my son Daniel read this and he said, this is my favorite poem of Tony Abbott's and it's on page 65. And Tony wrote this. So you want a happy ending? I don't know much about that. I cry a lot these days. Not for broken shoelaces or spilled beer, but for Bach and the Beatles and for beauty where I find it. I sleep later, dream more, and write stuff like this. <laughs> That's great. Um, Fred Beekner, um, just one final point about him, and I've got some writing life questions. He, uh, he preached once to Trinity Congregation. Uh, um, you talked about him coming to, to visit. Um, and one of the things he said, you talk about this, and maybe it came out in what you're reading, I was listening, but people must keep the doors of their hearts open to the extraordinary within the ordinary. And I thought that was interesting. Uh, it kind of ties into the apple branches clacking together, but uh, the extraordinary within the ordinary. Talk about that. 
It's the mystery of things. I think if you're awake, if you really are alive, once in a while you stand before a mystery and you give it extraordinary, you're, you're seeing something that's in this life, I mean, whatever you're experiencing, seeing, hearing, smelling, whatever it is. And then suddenly you have this in, almost intuitive, you know, something else is happening here. I don't know what it is, but I think it's extraordinary what, is, what I'm feeling or sensing. And one of the things I put in the book um, that I thought was important was Einstein's um, quote that I found in Lou Patrick's desk, uh, where Albert Einstein, that rational creature, man, said, the most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. The man who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. So when you look at an apple branch and expect that you're going to get this special gift that no one else will get, no, you just have to be open to seeing that is amazing. This is just a beautiful apple branch, but praise him. All right. Well, let's shift to the writing life just a little bit. Uh, We talked about the fact you've taught writing and literature, um, but you began your writing career in earnest after you retired from teaching. You sit at your desk in your sunroom every morning and you write. So, Janet, why do you write? Baron Mullis, my friend that you quoted at the beginning of the podcast, was characterizing me one day, and I didn't like it very much, but he said, good golly, Janet, you're a word junkie. And I think I've always loved words, uh, and I have been writing my whole life. I didn't ever think of myself as a writer because there were journals, there were things I sent in. I did get published a couple of times, but I never thought of myself as a writer. And then when I was about 10 years ago, I realized, well, goodness, I have been writing my whole life, Uh, writing letters to people, writing journals, oh, all these journals. Um, So I write because, and Landis, you probably hear this on all these podcasts, I'm pretty sure they say, because I can't not write. It's just what I do. Well, that little... uh... You know, imposter syndrome thing about I'm, I'm not a writer reminds me of Carrie Knowles, who's been on the podcast, and she's written books about writing. She does little seminars and so forth. And when she does them, she makes people sign at the very beginning, almost like they're going to an AA meeting. My name is fill in the blank. I am a writer. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I am a writer. If I've written something, I am a writer. Um, okay, well, well, I've asked you about you know the time it took to write this book, but different sort of uh, twist on that. Do you think this book could have been written earlier? Did it have to did it have to wait? Did some time have to go by before you could write the story that you wrote in this particular book? Oh, interesting. Uh, no wine before it's time kind of thing. I, I don't think so. I think the confidence I had been growing, I mean the confidence was growing somewhat seemed that it had to perk 
uh, and I had to come to a realization, and that didn't come early, that I had access to things that no one else had, that I might have something to say. I have plenty of ego, but I didn't think it was an ego of writing that I had something to say that no one, that might be interesting. So at that dawning of three friends of mine and the commonalities had to probably happen at a moment, maybe almost a moment in time. Fruition, yes. But I do, I wish, I wish I could have started writing earlier <laughs> to see if I could. Yeah. As far as published, I'm just speaking of publishing yeah. things. Well, when you're giving instructions as a teacher, I sometimes ask this of the teachers, uh, is there one thing that jumps out, one of the more important things you tell writers about the craft of writing? Yes. I think every writer, uh, teacher of writing says this. Show me something. Don't tell me. Just show me. Uh, and it takes such practice to show and describe in words what is happening in your head. Don't draw the conclusion yet. You, you, just if, if I gave the assignment of what do you think success is? Don't start with, oh, conclusions, because your brain does that. But for the writers, I would say, give me a person that you think is successful and describe that person. Show me what success looks like, sounds like, feels like. And then you'll have your conclusion. And there's a reason for that. And I've been gradually learning it as well, shifting from lawyer to recovering lawyer to writer. And that is that, uh, as I understand it, you want the person who's reading what you've written to feel something. And it's a lot harder for them to feel something if they're just being fed information. But if they're being shown a certain situation, then they can perhaps relate and feel. It's kind of the same way when you argue to a jury. You don't want to tell them what the answer is. You want to give them enough information. They come to the conclusion on their own. Self-discovery. Right? Self <laughs> exactly. <Right. laughs> exactly. But English uh, teachers, but Landis, one of the pitfalls, I have to be very careful because I, and you, I love my subjects so much. I sort of want to tol tell them what I learned. What you have to do as a teacher is hold back. You can't say this is what the poem means or this is what you mean by success and write an essay. No, you've got to let the, the writer discover it on their own. It's hard right. to restrain oneself. All right, one final question. I sometimes ask this of authors who've written a bunch of books. It sort of has to do with, uh, you know, what they learned through that process that they didn't know when they started out writing. You've written this one book, so I'll ask it this way. You know, after you finish this book and you're looking back, you know, what was it that you learned about, you know, the sort of this process of writing a book that you didn't realize that you wish you'd known when you started? Landis, I found that limiting oneself, thinking you know yourself, is so limiting. So that now I didn't have the confidence that I had, I had a book publishing future for myself. I was limiting myself. Uh, my husband used to say, Janet, when are you going to write the great American novel? And I'd say, well, I can't, I can't do dialogue. <laughs> I'm not very good with dialogue. That's so limiting. And what 
the extraordinary within the ordinary is try, don't limit. And that's what I learned most so that I've already written a book of fiction um, because I found the sky is the limit. The extraordinary thing is in this ordinary writing is that I can do it and I can attempt it. So that's what I learned, which was so surprising that, oh, Janet can't do this. And I'm, I have a big enough ego to know there's lots of things I, I'm sure of, but this has been a wonderful discovery of my own. That's great. That's great advice, too. I mean, you know, uh, pick up your pen, pick up your keyboard, write, read books, learn what other writers do. You can figure it out. Um, keep practicing, keep doing, you'll learn more. Um, Janet, this has been wonderful. Listeners, I've been talking with uh, Janet Sargent. Uh, she's the author of Deep Calls Unto Deep Reflections on the Intersecting Lives and Writings of Fred Beekner, Tony Abbott, and Lewis Patrick. Uh, it's a quick read. It's a, a great read, but it's one of those reads that when you come back to it, you'll be thinking, oh, I missed that. I have to think a little bit more about that. Janet, thank you for being uh, with us on Charlotte Reader's Podcast. Thank you, Landis, my friend, and also what I'm learning from the podcast that you are doing, which fits right into your last question. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.